1: To wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash dt. Proud to have you with us this morning and every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Appreciate you being here today. If you haven't become a member, please make sure you do so by going to MixLR.com backslash dt. If you're on there right now, click on follow, and that'll prompt you to create for yourself a username and link it to an email. And once you do that, you will connect with the show in two awesome ways that only members can do. You can chat with me in the live chat room during the show. And on top of that, you will get emailed every single time the show goes live. So you'll never miss a live show again. It'll make it even easier for you to listen to because all you have to do is open your email and click on listen. And there you are, streaming from whatever device you have, desktop, laptop. Tablet, iPad, iPod, iPhone, smartphone, anything that has the internet, you will be connected to the show. So make sure that you become a member this morning. And on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you can hang out with us there 24 7. Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, and Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT. With all that being said, and all the pleasantries, here for you this morning. It is now time to jump into the morning menu because our discussion today is going to be vast, multi-layered, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's get into it.
2: Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we like to start off the show by giving you our menu of topics. The morning menu that is live now with the morning menu is Dan Tortora.
1: The morning menu for today's episode of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, right here on Wake Call DT.com and on MixLR.com/Wake Up Call DT. Very excited for this. This is something that I've been waiting to do here. I've kind of been. You know, teasing it, so to speak. If you think of it like a movie, we've put some teaser trailers out, maybe some official TV spots and whatnot, and now it's time to have the actual full-blown conversation with somebody that I respect very, very much so. And he's gonna be on in just a second here, and that is Dave Paziac. Dave Paziac was a coach inside of Central New York in the basketball ranks collegiately for a very long time, for over a decade and he is now with the Lyndon Hornets NCAA Division III School out in Vermont at Linden State College, and he has been a strong basketball mind all the way through, somebody that I always appreciate speaking with and spending time with. He's going to be joining me in just a little bit here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora this morning, and I'm stoked for this opportunity that we have. We're going to be discussing something that is very important And just, I mean, it's coming up more and more with all the different loopholes and things that have happened and investigations and whatnot, is that the relationship between college basketball and the NBA will be discussed this morning. The times we are in, the many layers of the relationship between the NCAA and the NBA, between college basketball and being a professional, that is affecting kids and affecting colleges, affecting universities, affecting, affecting everybody, honestly, in the, in the collegiate ranks, in the collegiate world. There's a lot to be discussed here, and we're going to dive into it together, Dave Paziak and I, right after this Fast Break.
0: This is a wake-up call, Fast
1: Break. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that?
2: Joe, I'll help you find your dream home.
1: You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that, are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again?
2: I have no idea.
1: Absolutely. But they need to know your name, so give it one more time.
2: This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 305 748 2524
1: Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 305 748 2524 Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. And we are here this morning inside of today's morning menu for Wednesday, April 11th with a conversation that, like I've been saying, has been teased throughout the last couple weeks all leading up to this moment, and that is about the NCAA to NBA conundrum of all the different things that are going on. Now you can go to the NBA Draft Combine, not hire an agent, and decide to come back. You can hire an agent and leave completely. But then there's the who gets drafted, who doesn't get drafted. Second round, no guaranteed money. There's going around college to the G League, around college to overseas. There's all the things going on with recruiting and money and the FBI probe and a lot of the big-time teams with big-time recruits being under scrutiny for this. There's always the conversation of paying players. So with all of these layers to the lasagna that has become college to professional basketball, it is time for us to welcome the man back to the show who I've always respected on this broadcast as an analyst, and that is Dave Pasiak. So with that being said, Dave, how goes it this morning for you in Vermont?
3: Uh, It's uh, it's a beautiful day in northern Vermont today. It's uh, um, actually getting some some pretty decent spring weather and our baseball team will get outside and actually have a home game for the first time this year this afternoon so that'll be a nice thing
1: that coming from dave dealing with the same spring that we are here in the northeast and dave you know to, to start this conversation there are so many different layers when i say to you the jump from college to pro The connection from college to pro. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I know you've made a lot of comments and different things recently here, so have I. Where do you want to tackle first, so to speak?
3: Well, I think when you're saying connection college to pro, um, you know, the model essentially has been that, you know, major college, high level NCAA Division I basketball has served for decades as. The farm system for the NBA for professional basketball, and um, you know, from a, from a practical standpoint, that's really what has been the case. Um, you know, I think that's a, a relationship that has um, uh, it's certainly a, a, I think at a crossroads. Um, you know, for a lot of the a lot of the reasons that you that you outlined um, in the lead in. As far as, you know, the things you always hear with, with respect to paying players, the, um, you know, Baisley's decision to go to the G League and the G League becoming a more and more viable alternative um, for player development, um, the legitimacy as a student of some of the one and done players. I mean, uh, it's, as, you know, as you put it, there's a, a ton of layers to this
1: and when we when we look at these layers and everything going on i want to start with the g league now players can go overseas and the thing is you know and unless it happens to your college or uni, you your university you know some people don't know these things and the you know the ball family saying all right you know what or i'm going to lavar saying i'm going to take my kid i'm going to put him overseas he's going to be there for a year you know you hit 18 years old you play a year overseas you could come in and be in the nba draft Well, in the G League, in America now, the rules are you got to be 18. To be 18, you can sign a contract in September. You can go in their draft in October for the G League, and then you can play within that for a season. And then in the 2019 NBA draft, if Darius Baisley does all these things, he will be available for the draft. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, there's the one-and-done rule that – essentially told kids you can't come out of high school anymore we're going to force you to go to college for a year and then kids found a way to go overseas and navigate through those waters and go around college and now the g league is saying well just go around college here in the states you don't have to leave you don't have to be that far away from your family we'll pay you some money you get to play for us for a year and then you go in the nba draft what are your thoughts on that
3: well it's always been an option since the nba implemented the uh um, you know the one and done. Uh, you know requirement that a kid be one year removed from uh, from their graduating class. Only for an American player, though. Um, rules not in place for, for foreign-born players or, or international players. But uh, um, you know, it's been an uh, an option, and it's just never been one that's talked about or um, I think thought about for high-level players. I mean, you've had the occasional Brandon Jennings going overseas. A couple guys have tried that route. Um, You mentioned Balls, kids. Um, But, I mean, the G League has always been there as an option for kids. Um, Baisley is the first high-level, highly-rated, highly-regarded player to explore that route. Um, And I think there will be a lot of eyes on him because – you know, if it turns out to be um, a good move for him, and and he comes through the winter next season, and his draft stock uh, is fairly high, then I think you'll see more and more players, um, you know, take that route. I thought his comment, uh, you know, he says people are are telling him, hey, it's only twenty six thousand dollars. You know, he said, damn, he goes, I, you know, I feel rich when I have five dollars in my in my pocket. So, um, you know, I think it's uh, one of the things I think you may see happen out of this, and you know, it'll be probably framed as some uh, altruistic stance by the NCAA, but in reality it'll be a business decision, is I think if more kids go this route, you may see the NCAA respond by allowing kids to... I don't think you'll ever see, you know, at least not for quite a while, the, the, like the, the pay-to-play model. It's not, it's not economically viable, as much as people talk about it. But I think what you might see is that the NCAA will open it up to where college players can sign endorsement deals and things like that. Um, and that, like in reality, would be a business decision in, re- in reaction to losing players to the G League if what Baisley's doing ends up becoming more of a trend.
1: Speaking here with Dave Pasiak, a Linden State Hornets head coach out of Vermont, as well as a basketball analyst I've been happy to have on the show for almost a decade. Dave, what do you think about that model with the G League? I mean, I, I can argue different things in the sense of, you know, one of the things that kind of comes to my mind is the fact like when they say, hey, you're only going to make $26,000. And, you know, if I'm Darius basically I'm going, yeah, I wasn't going to make any of that in college. I was going to make $0 for the next year. So, you know, for me, if they pay me $14 to go play basketball, I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to take that money, and I'm going to run. So, you know, I, I don't – I mean, for me, if you want to make money, you want to play right away, it's absolutely positively an option for you. So, I don't see – you know the the wrong in that if that's what these guys want to do but at the same time you know i just i just look at the fact that you know why at this point like you said if it works why wouldn't kids do this why wouldn't they take this chance and say listen i don't have to waste my time playing college basketball i'm going to make money and you know, bare minimum, I, c- I can make myself a few thousand dollars, help out my family. I don't have to go to class. I can only focus on basketball. I mean, for the player's point of view, this sounds like a win-win. I don't have to stay academically eligible. I don't. Ha- all I got to do is get up, train, lift, know what's going on, know my playbook, go to work. I mean, that's all these guys have to do, and they're gonna make money doing it. So, I, I don't I don't see the downfall in the minds of a high school or prep school athlete at this point?
3: Well, I think you're 100% correct from a basketball player development standpoint. Um, Like, if if you're looking at it through that window and and really being objective about it, um, as far as developing a player to be a professional basketball player, um, you know, the, the G League is a far superior option than, to major college basketball. Um, but it's a, it's a more complicated issue than that. One of the reasons that I think, you know, kids aren't really thinking about, they haven't really thought about the G League and the attraction of college basketball is because what, what college basketball does you know, for a kid on the broader scale. Um, you know, the elite level players, it, it helps them build their brand. Um, and also college athletes have it really good, um, in terms of, uh, you know, facilities, training, your games are on national TV, you're playing in front of a lot of people and that's attractive and important to kids. Um, it's a, it, it's, I mean, the G league is, is, you know, it's a lot of travel, um, not and you're not traveling like an NBA team I mean, you're taking buses and, uh, you, you know, a lot of travel um playing in venues that you know in front of a lot less people um and it's a it's a pro regimen so it's all you know all you're locked in on is basketball um you know so i think that college lifestyle and the college experience is it, it still has an attraction for a lot of kids as well um you know the the notion that you know that the that the one and done kids are benefiting academically from spending that year in college to me is a joke uh, because they go to class for a semester. You know, as soon as the season's over, they're done. Um, you know, so so the academic component, like for the one and done kids, to me that argument like carries no weight whatsoever. But the experience and the building the brand, um, getting to. Like kind of a little discussion on social media with a couple of friends of mine over this, like it talked about you know small market versus large market and how like Duncan and Robinson were able to become known quantities even though they played in San Antonio because the Spurs won. But the other thing that went into that is they are also four-year college players, they got a lot of exposure and were well known before they played a single game in the NBA versus like. European player like a you know Jokic, uh, Jokic or Porzingis something like that or uh, Antetokounmpo, uh, one of those guys comes into the league without any name, and they have to do something in the NBA to gain attraction and, and 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 build their brand. So I think college basketball, you know, even the one and done guys, and they're you know they've become you know the marquee players, you know the, the star players that everybody talks about for the most part. Um, the college experience and the college exposure helps them become known quantities and build their brand uh, for when they do turn professional.
1: Yeah you know when, when we look at you know kind of these these decisions and moving forward and, and like you spoke about you know building their brand and whatnot, not necessarily going to school, I mean there's so many things going on with college basketball right now. And the NCAA, I had made the statement, I believe I had said it to you uh, that last year, if not a little bit before that, I said, I give the NCAA five years, they have a five year window. And if they don't change their ways, adjust to to what's going on, answer some of these gaping holes in the way that they go about their business, then outside of this five year window, they're not going to exist or they will not exist the way that they look today. I'm sticking by that and I might even feel in, in you know in my heart of hearts and mind of minds that it, it may be shorter than that you know autonomy I had spoken with John Swaffer, the ACC commissioner who's been on the show plenty of times and and I appreciate how honest and open he is in the conversation. I said, you know you're autonomous So legally you know the, the power designation of conferences, Is a media word. The autonomous verbiage is a legal term. And autonomy means that you are free from external control. So I said to him, the PAC 12, the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the SEC, if you guys decided to, you could walk away. I said, Is that something on your brain? And he said, You know, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. And it's not a, it's not a, it's never going to happen type of thing. It's not going to happen right now, but it's not, it's never going to happen. So, you know, I look at the NCAA and I say, okay, you allowed these five conferences to be autonomous and play by their own set of rules and this, that, and the other, because essentially they don't need you. You need them. And they know that. So they're kind of telling you, we're going to do what we want to do and we'll still stay under your umbrella, but we don't care if it rains. So they have that they have the probe by the FBI they have this conundrum of, of, of what's going on with players and like you said once the season's over these kids aren't going to school anymore. So there's all of these things going on and this is where the NBA where the NCAA pardon me sits today. What do you think about the state of the NCAA and the facts of the matter that there are all of these moving parts and it looks like less and less the NCAA has any control over anything that's going on?
3: Well, you know, the NCAA, it's over a thousand member schools, you know, so there, there are a lot of people in the NCAA with different, you know, priorities and different resource levels and whatnot. And, you know, division three is much different from division one. And even within division one, um, you know the FBS and the F- FCS schools are completely on a different level, and um, or in major college basketball. You know the, the the kind of the resources and the scope of the program at like a Colgate or a Cornell is much different than what you find at a, at a Syracuse or a uh, um, North Carolina or Duke or something. Um, you, you know, so there are a lot of people with 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 different priorities and like in many instances um, you know money drives things and really where where's the revenue from an NCAA perspective it's in major college football and March madness um, you know so those are the two cash cow properties that they have um, and the you know the, the revenue that comes from those sports allows the NCAA to do a lot of other things so um so you're right the, the um you know the, the power five or the autonomous five as you, you describe it i mean because of the financial realities of things they wield uh, a lot of power and a lot of influence within the ncaa and you know the alternative is they break away and do their own thing and you know that would cause cause a really fundamental um you know, really fundamental shift in, in, you know, kind of the landscape and the philosophy of college athletics. And, you know, maybe if that group broke away and did their own thing, then, you know, the NCAA that was left would be, would kind of have to refocus on legitimate student athletes. Um, But at the same time, they wouldn't have the money and the resources at their disposal to do a lot of the things that they do now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it would not surprise me if you saw the, you know, the, the five conferences break away and do their own thing. And I agree with you probably sooner than five years wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but there are other implications too. You know, those schools are all, um, you know, they have to comply with, with federal regulations and title nine and everything, or they risk losing federal funding. So, um, you know, staying attached to the NCAA and, and some of the things that, you know, the NCAA, um, mandates and prescribes helps those schools not run afoul of the federal government and risk losing federal funding, which none of those, you know, as much as there's big money in college athletics, they're not in a position to, to be able to lose federal funding, you know, student aid and those types of things. So, um, so it's a complicated complicated issue, for sure.
1: And when we look at this you know, issue, we look at what's going on with the G League. You know, in the 2017-18 season, the G League had 26 teams. There are 30 NBA franchises, and there's already 26 G League teams that are affiliated with a single NBA club. And when we look at the four teams that don't have a G League partner, uh, two of them, the Pelicans and the Wizards, stated that they plan on having a team in 2018 and then we look at you know the nuggets and the blazers from there everybody else has a team now if they change the age minimum and say that you can be 18 years old to play you know if if they say okay you know what we're going to allow teams that are drafting 18 year olds to send them to the G league it doesn't count against it we're seeing a farm system where, you know, there's a fine, it's not like football in the sense of there's such a finite amount of players that you can have on your active roster for an NBA team. But if you can take that roster and double it, put those people in the G League and just start, you know, picking up and putting down and making it kind of a baseball system of, okay, you know, instead of wasting money and doing these trades and doing this, that, and the other thing, you know, let's work out some kids in here. The Raptors have found a lot of success with Raptors 305 in bringing guys up and giving them opportunities. They've also set records for attendance inside of the Air Canada Center for doing this. So, you know, if we say that the G League, if it's it's this close, if it's got 26 affiliates to 26 teams, each of them, you know, it's not like these are just willy-nilly G League teams, 26 franchises with each having their own G League team. There's only four that don't. Those four get them, the NBA NBA mandates that they have to get that, so now there's 30, and essentially you say, okay, you know what, you can come right out of high school, right out of prep school, and you can come right in here, and you can can play with us in here and have an opportunity at 18 years old, as, as Darius Baisley's doing, but you can already be connected to an NBA team. What Darius is doing now is he goes to the G League, then he has to enter the draft the next year. Now they're saying, no you come straight in you can go straight to the G League you will be oh you know your rights will be owned there and we could build up these franchises and build up these farm systems if the G League which is only four teams away Dave decides to have every team have a G League team and sets up a system of of farming these kids straight out of high school and prep school like baseball would what's going to happen to college basketball
3: I think that's already a stated intention in the NBA that they, you know, the intention is that there'll be a one-to-one between G-League franchises and NBA franchises. You know, I think that's a given that that's going to happen within next year or two. Um, I think what longer term, like bigger, bigger picture, um, I think you're going to see college basketball squeezed out of um, the elite player development cycle in basketball. Um, you know, similar a little bit to like junior hockey or the club system in European soccer. Mm. Um, I think, like, and this this was going to take a lot longer to evolve, but um, the NBA has gotten more and more involved with. You know, they recently came out with, uh, you know, along with, along with USA Basketball, with guidelines and kind of took a leadership role in. Guidelines for player development and what should and shouldn't be taught at each late, each age level as players progress as youngsters. Um, I think you know making the G League more of a viable farm system. I think is part of that. Um, You know, I think the NBA has kind of started to reach its tentacles into like grassroots basketball and uh, you know club basketball, and I think you'll see maybe more direct correlation with you know between the nba and and like aau programs or you know things like that like the player development model i think and i think as that happens it it has the potential of squeezing college basketball out of that out of that cycle and out of that circuit for the elite level players um i mean college basketball will always well i mean it's such a uh, college basketball, college football are such a big part of the fabric of kind of the educational system in the United States. I think on a grand scale, college basketball and college athletics are, you know, are are always going to exist and always going to be fun. Whether college basketball, you know, and to what degree it continues to exist as a, as a development arm for the NBA. That's a different story. I think, um, you know, the more viable the G League becomes, and the more that the NBA becomes involved in youth basketball and in gra- grassroots basketball, I think the greater the possibility that the N- that the NCAA and major college basketball will see their role reduced as far as actually developing high level professional players.
1: Speaking here with Dave Pasiak, a basketball analyst and-, and head coach of the Linden State Hornets. Inside of the state of Vermont's NCAA D three, Dave. When we look at this, like you said, I mean, we're gonna see, you know, role changes and and different things going on. For me, if the NBA says okay, let's set this up, and like I said, they're very close. And like you said, you know, the plan, you know, is is set in place. I mean, it's not it's not as hard to make four chips fall as it is to make twenty six. So the G League, this one and one. Where you have a G League affiliate of every single NBA team all across the nation and in Toronto, you line all that up, and you say you come here right away. You can start training with us, playing with us. You're gonna be if you're on Raptors 905, you're part of the Raptors. Darius Basley, guess what? You're not coming onto a team with free rights and this that and everything. You're coming in here. You're gonna be part of this squad, draftable, whatever you want to call it. You know, you go into the draft. You come to the Lakers. We send you down to this and 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 you're a part of us, and, you know, they figure out the payment scale or whatever that's going to be for the younger guys, here's my question. Darius Baisley's already made the jump. McDonald's All-American guys can make jumps. Kentucky guys, this would cripple John Calipari because he's NBA light. So when you go through this scenario that is happening right now with what Darius Baisley's doing and you make it easier and easier and you make it more of a fluid system between the G League and the NBA – the NCAA is at risk of losing not all of their student-athletes, but the best of their student-athletes, the most talented of their student-athletes. And if that is the case, what happens to college basketball? What happens to March Madness? What happens to, you know, these big-time programs like Kentucky and Villanova and Syracuse and Michigan State and and Kansas and so on and so forth when players say, okay, you know what? I could go right now and be a part of the NBA – Right now, I'm not. I'm not doing what Darius Basley did. I'm doing one step above that. I'm not going with with a plan of hoping that I get drafted. I'm automatically an NBA player if I'm playing on these G League teams. If if they adjust these rules a little bit, so what happens to all of the great players of college basketball? Essentially, the A team, so to speak, is going to be gone if this is the system.
3: Uh, it's it's an interesting question. It really is, Dan, because. Um, I I said, the cynics would say Kentucky will still get guys because if they went to the G league, they'd have to take pay cut, but, uh, um, (laughs) the cynics might say that, but, uh, um, but anyways, it it really is an interesting question. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, was interviewed recently and he talked about there's 1,450, you know, division one basketball players. He says fourteen hundred of them are not going to sniff the NBA, and you know they're going to take advantage of being in college and getting an education and you know getting their degree and everything. Like all this conversation, really re- revolves around the best fifty players, or their you know, give or take. Right. Um, so I think uh, it would be—it's v- really interesting how that would go because on the one hand, you skim off the best. You know the you know the most talent in college basketball. Um, on the other hand, you might be left with something where the players that do go to college basketball become like more identified with their school because they're there longer and um, you know. So I, I think it's the kind of thing that could go in either direction going forward. I like I mean. College athletics and college basketball is still going to exist. Um, you, you know, is March Madness going to draw the same ranking, you know, TV ratings? Some would say no if you strip off the top players. But, the, the, you know, the counter argument to that is maybe yes, because the players that are there become more identifiable to, you know, to, to the institutions. And, um, you know, maybe lessening that connection with the NBA strengthens the affinity to college basketball. So, um, you know, it's, it's really – I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Um, you know, because there's still value in – like, you know, people – you know, people follow college athletics for the – you know, for the name on a jersey. You know, and when they talk about the players, you know, paying a player, I'll go back to Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M. You know, and here there was big to-do about, you know, how much – his likeness was worth and all that kind of thing. So Johnny Manziel was playing minor league football in front of 200 people. Nobody would know about him, but Texas A&M would still be playing in front of a full stadium on Saturday afternoon. You know, and, um, you know, basically because he's the first is going to command attention and people be very interested in, in how he does, but Syracuse university is still going to play in front of, um, you know, a full house in the carrier dome, whether he's there or not. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to kind of see which direction things go in college athletics, you know, one as if the elite players start taking the G the G League route more frequently, and it takes skims the top, you know, twenty five or fifty players, you know, out of college basketball every year. Um, you know, I think, it, I mean, it'll take a hit on one in one sense, but it also may kind of strengthen the you know, the attention and the you know the affiliation to the institutions on the other hand. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
1: Well and the question, you know, becomes if if there was no Marvin Bagley the third, if there was no Mobamba, if there was no Miles Bridges, no Bruce Brown, no, you know, just going down the list like it is no Kevin Knox no Colin Sexton, no Michael Porter Jr., no Gary Trent Jr., no Alonzo Triera Just if all those guys were gone, the question is, what does that do to college basketball? But on the flip side of it, Dave, if they were never there, who can miss them? Because they never saw them in the jersey. So I mean, it's there's <laughs> there's there's two angles to this thing. There's okay, well, yeah, well, we would miss them now because they were fun in the tournament and they did this and they did that, but if they never play in the tournament, how can you miss them? That's what I said about Darius Baisley. Like, you think he's a good player and he might very well be a good player, but he never put a Syracuse jersey on. He never went to the dance with you. So why, you know, I mean, you're going to miss something that you never had. You don't know how he would have fit into the system. If he would have helped the team hurt the team, if it would have been all about him or if it would have been team. I mean, you can't miss something you never had. So I look at this and, and ask you: We would be taking potentially some of the best players out of the tournament, but on the other side of it, if they never play in the tournament, how can we miss them?
3: Yeah, I mean, really, really valid point. And it comes back to, like, you know, are people following Syracuse University because they follow Syracuse University, or are they following Syracuse University because they're following? a specific player that's headed to the NBA. And I would argue that it's a lot of the first and a little bit of the second. You know, um, and there's probably a certain percentage of the pop, you know, of the fan base that maybe if the elite level players are no longer playing at Syracuse and playing in the ACC and playing in division one, major college basketball, there's probably a percentage of the fan base that would, uh, you know, that would tune out. But um, there might be, you know, another segment of the population that tunes back in because players become more identifiable with the institution because they're staying longer because they don't have the pro option. Less players, less players will have that. And it'll become a story when the guy that, you know, the Frank Kaminsky's of the world that were not regarded as, not highly regarded and and not playing much the first couple of years and then they end up blossoming and becoming an nba player so that will become like the guys that go from college to the pros will be those kinds of stories so um it's really it's it's it's, it'll be fascinating to see how that unfolds um you know presuming that the high level talent taking the g-league route becomes more and more prevalent
1: And when we look at it, speaking here with Dave Paziac, and, of course, myself, Dan Tortora here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora this morning and every Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, which you can pick up the live feed and so much more on the homepage of WakeUpCallDT.com as well, your hub and your one-stop sports shop. Dave, to, to look at the scenario of like like uh, Beheim was saying, you know, fourteen hundred and fifty players, fourteen hundred of them aren't going to get a sniff of the NBA, but fifty of them will. If those fifty go the G League route, does it not even a playing field that's already starting to even itself out? And does this not make the March Madness more more exciting? Does this not make the bracket more entertaining? And to just follow me on this road here. If we st- if if players start going to the NBA instead of going to Kentucky, instead of going to Kansas, instead of going to to you know uh, whatever it may be, Michigan or Missouri and whatnot, then do the Loyola Chicago's and the Nevadas and the Saint Bonaventures and the Marshalls. Do they not, you know, does it not become even more dangerous, even better for Gonzaga? Can we argue that, yes, some of these players will be taken out and maybe some of the quality will go down in some people's minds, but does it not make a March Madness tournament even better because the 351 Division I men's basketball schools, there are teams that are already starting to even the playing field. And if those elite of the elite are gone from the Kentuckys and the Dukes and whatnot, then is that not more for us in March to say, okay, Loyola, you're not going up against a guy who's going to be the number one pick. Okay, you know, Gonzaga, you don't have to worry about North Carolina having this, that, and the other because they're going to lose three of those guys. So does it not make college basketball even more exciting, not taking any credit away from the teams that people don't expect to do much because UMBC, Loyola, and the rest of the world – they are catching up, but does this not make the race a little bit more even, a little bit quicker, if that ends up happening?
3: Well, I mean, that's one way to, to, to kind of project it. I think the counter argument to that is um, right now, like the, the big advantage that the teams that don't have the elite level talent, the NBA level talent, have is they can. Veteran teams with a lot of seniors and juniors, and teams that are cohesive and have 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 been together longer. You know, whether it be the Loyolas and the UMBCs, or whether it be like a team like Michigan um, or, or or Villanova. Um, you know, the the teams that have a lot of the three and four year guys that tends to in the tournament, in a one game setting, tends to counterbalance the teams with the high, you know, the Kentucky one and done elite level, high level players. Um, Now, if you take, if you skim the top 50 guys out of college basketball, now you're going to have 50 guys that are mid-major players that are now high major players. And then you're going to have 50 guys that are low major players that are playing mid-major and 50 guys that are like D2 and D3 guys now getting division one scholarships. So, um, and, and, the, the, Elite, the the high-level power conference teams are going to keep their teams together longer, so you can make a counter-argument you know, that I think is equally compelling that it might actually cause the trend to go in the other direction to where that advantage that the mid-majors at the Loyola has have about having a veteran team that maybe um, can make up with experience and cohesiveness what a team with one-and-done guys has in raw individual talent, that advantage is going to dissipate a little bit. So, I, you know, I think there, there's, you know, a couple different ways that could go. And, you know, time will tell which way the trend ends up moving.
1: And and speaking of trends, speaking here with Dave Pasiak, there's the trend of transferring. There's the trend of – I don't like my coach. Uh, I don't like that I'm not playing. I think that I'm better than he thinks I am, so I'm going to leave. There's the, you know, my coach left and, and took a job somewhere else. I came here to play for him. I don't like the new coach. He's got his own players. I mean, there's all these different things that happen, uh, you know, happen with the with the with the transferring of players, but it is rampant. And so I mean the the last couple that Syracuse had with John Gillen and Andrew White III Syracuse was their third team for each of them. Third team with four seasons of eligibility. And not knocking them, just stating an obvious fact. And then with Geno Thorpe, Gino decided to transfer in six games in, said, I don't like what's going on here. And he decided to leave. So, you know, we, we look at we look at transfers and, and how it's happening all the time. You know, Mike Benege transferred in this I mean I look at Beheim and and not really you know, thinking that that Bayheim and Syracuse was really the the transfer school or the grad transfer school, but you know, Benajay comes in, and Andrew White the third comes in, and John Gillen comes in, and Geno Thorpe comes in, and Elijah Hughes came in last year, and he'll be able to play this year. So it's happening in the here and now, right in front of Central New Yorkers, to get used to this thing that you know traditional recruiting of prep school guys and and you know guys that are they're doing really well in AAU and high school. That's going to be part of it, but you're also going to look at these transfers. And with Darius Baisley not using a scholarship, there's the opportunity that maybe another transfer could be coming in to Syracuse that could play right away as a grad transfer. So you know what are your thoughts on the rampant transferring of players and how it just continues to seemingly grow in a world that is reversed? where in the NBA, they choose where you go. But in college basketball, as long as that school wants you, you get to choose where you go. And and we have guys that have played in three different places before they try their luck with the NBA. I mean, what do you think about transferring at this point and, and how much of it we're seeing right now?
3: Well, I mean, it's it, it there's a couple different layers to this, too. Um, you know, on the one hand, I think... It's it's a little bit symptomatic of society today and attitudes in society, and um, you know it's it's like you know things are harder than, and I think unfortunately kids in this generation, you know, uh, are getting more and more of this value system. You know, things are things are a little bit more difficult than I thought they would be, or you know I got to work a little bit harder than maybe I thought I did to you know to earn my keep or whatnot. So instead of putting my nose to the grindstone and doing that I'm just going to take, pick, you know, take my ball and go to the next playground you know um so I, I I think you know unfortunately it's a reflection of like attitude in society a little bit in general um you know and you, you you just kind of see that that like perseverance unfortunately I think um tends to be more and more of a rare quality in in, in people um speaking strictly with the you know in terms of the grad transfer situation you know like like a lot of things the grad transfer when, you know when, when that was originally kind of conceived I think it had noble intentions and and uh, you know academic basis for its existence you know it was it kind of came down to if a kid wanted to go to graduate school and the, the institution they were at didn't offer, program of study that they want you could graduate trans- you know you could be given a graduate transfer and play right away you know, as things evolve and you know people figure out how to ways to, to use the system to their benefit the whole notion that it's um, you know that it exists for academic purposes has um, kind of gone by the boards and now it's a, you know you'll see kids that are grad transfers and you know, there's a kid at Albany whose name escapes me at the moment. One of their better players is graduating in three and a half years and, you know, is taking a grad transfer because he is an accomplished player and has an opportunity to play at a major college program for one year. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, it's become, and the genie's a little bit out of the bottle. So I don't know how the NCAA will, you know, would be able to rein this one back in, you know, but the grad transfer has kind of become, you know, the back, the one and done on the back end, you know, you get the one and done players on, uh, on the front end that are elite level talents and you know that they're going to leave for the NBA You know, you get the back end one and done player who are like the, uh, um, you know, they're, they're, they're like the quick fix and the, um, Mm. you know, put the finger in the dike and um, kind of get you through to the next season players. And, um, you know what Syracuse is doing, and what a lot of other schools doing is is entirely within the scope of the landscape right now. Just like what Kentucky does on the front end with the one and done players. So, um, you know, I think it it, come, it it You know, it's another thing that kind of lessens the um. How do I put it? You know, the connection and the affiliation with the individual between the individual players and the you know the school that they're at. And um, there's less of a sense that you know, I decide I'm going to go to Syracuse, or I decide I'm going to go to, you know, Albany or Colgate or um, North Carolina or, or whatever institution. You know, I'm making a commitment to that school and that program, and I'm going to get my degree, and I'm going to contribute as best I can to their success on a basketball court. And I think there's there's less and less of that, and you know, the, it's a combination of you know people using the grad transfer rule to their advantage, and just just the general notion that you know kids kids today are less likely to persevere and work their work their way through difficult situations
1: yeah you know and, and that's that's you know what we're going with right now is is that there are so many transfers and and so many players jumping i mean dare i ask you this question because i'm sure it would make it would make the epidemic even worse but should should you know should not grad transfers but traditional transfers should they have to wait a year under NCAA ruling, and and I know within conference, you know, like the ACC and whatnot, if you, if you transfer within the ACC, they could turn around and say you have to wait two years. So, you know, would you want to do something like that? Do you think that that rule needs to be gotten rid of, even in college football, that if you transfer, you shouldn't have to wait a year? You know, if you want to leave the school and play somewhere else, you can play right away. What do you think about that whole... You know, it's penalizing the athlete. They don't lose a season of eligibility, but they have this giant gap between when they played and then when they play again. What do you think about that rule?
3: Well, um, to me, I think it's a little bit, a little bit of, an, of a like double standard, where a kid that's a grad transfer can play right away, but an undergrad transfer has to sit. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a double standard there. I mean, the counter argument is that you know the grad transfer has you know has already completed their academic obligation, so I get that. But uh, um, you know, I think if we lived in a you know in a in a college athletics world where everything was noble and on the up and up, and um, you know, then I think. Like, not requiring a player to sit a year, um, I think, is certainly reasonable. You know, and I coach at Division three level. Kids um, kids generally don't have to sit if they transfer schools, but kids also are generally not transferring in Division three because they think it'll help their NBA prospects. Um, you know, so I think if, you know, if, if we were living in a world where everybody was on the up-and-up, um, you know, certainly it would kind of – you know benefit the player the the danger is you know you already have you know people back channel recruiting kids at other schools and everything with you know through their you know whoever their contacts are their aau people or their personal trainer or their high school coach or whatever um i think if kids could play right away i think that would increase exponentially, you know, uh, you know, essentially teams would have to re-recruit their own kids every year to get them to stay. So, um, so I, I think, you know, there's gotta be like a, like a happy medium in there. Um, and I, I don't really have a good answer as to what that is, but, um, you know, I, I think my personal opinion, I think that the transfer academic to me, to me, as a as a somebody who's uh, involved in basketball and also likes basketball from a fan perspective, I I had I think the transfer uh, epidemic is far more damaging to the game than the one of them and,
1: and you know, when we look at this, it, it, we live in a society, Dave, that has become fickle. It has become uh, unpleasable, and like you said, you know, not not having that perseverance or that determination of of getting better or improving or whatever it may be you know we we are in a society of well you know I don't feel like it we're in a society of well it should just be easy well why isn't it working out so to continue that you know do 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 you almost change the rule and say okay if you transfer as a co- as a college student athlete You can only transfer one time or you can transfer after two years at the school or whatever. I mean, do we change the rules and put stricter policies that you can't transfer three times in, in four or five years or you can't, you know, transfer until you spent a certain amount of semesters at a school because a society that is, I want it now, give it to me right now, why is it not happening right now? If we continue to let the rules be the rules, society will only progress in the unpleasable fickle way. It won't turn the corner. You can't turn the corner of of the way that a car is driving if there's nothing blocking that other side. You know, if if there's nothing to adjust that, you want a guy to go to his left, you force him left. If you don't do anything, he's going to dribble right until he feels damn well <laughs> as long as he pleases until he's done doing what he's doing. I mean, if we do nothing, society will continue to go in that direction. So do we go to schools? Does the NCAA say, you can transfer if you do X, Y, Z? Can't transfer in your first year. Can't do this, can't do that. If you transfer, you can only transfer once. You can't lock up three different programs in your time in college. I mean, do we do that at this point?
3: Yeah, I mean... I don't know if that's the answer it may be. Um, like I said like I think like to me I've, if you could count on everybody acting with noble intentions, which you can't. I know it's a fair land world that way, but uh, you know um, but if you could count on that, then to me the logical thing is that every transfer gets evaluated on its individual merits and if student athlete, a is at school A and wants to leave and transfer to school B. There's a review process at school A, and school A either gives gives his, gives their blessings, and you know there's legitimate reasons, whether it's a family situation or an academic issue, a financial issue, whatever, and he can play right away at school B. If there's not, um, you know, if if the school A feels like there was athletic poaching or something like that, then school A make the determination that, uh, that the kid has to sit a year. But the problem with that is that, you know, you're counting on people at school A to act in the best interest of the, of, of the student athlete and some, and not be penal and say, well, we're just going to make you sit because we can. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, if you, if you limit it to one transfer, you know, maybe that. Curves it. Um, I don't know. I, I just—it's uh, not because the, the genie is out of the bottle, and has been out of the bottle for a little while. I think it's really hard to come up with a, um, you know, set of rules to kind of put the genie back
1: in the bottle. Yeah, and I agree with that. And and in closing, here with Dave Paziac, a Linden State. Hornets head coach, as well as a basketball analyst that has been here with Wake Up Call with Dance Tour for a long time, and and always appreciate Dave being a part of the show. With the genie being out of the bottle, you know everything that's going on, everything that's been brought up with the the NCAA, with schools, you know, allegedly falsifying degrees, not having kids go to real classes. Prostitutes on campus servicing recruits, some of them being minors, to, you know, fixing a paper, to finding some money here, there, and everywhere, you know, to to stories that people have told me from decades ago when they played that they would open their locker and there was a wad of cash or a booster would shake your hand and inside of his hand, when he shook your hand, would be $500. I mean, these things have been happening forever to, to people that have played in Kentucky and had st- not only money but stake in the Kentucky Derby and continue 30 years later to have stake in the Kentucky Derby and make money still today. So we see all these things going on and now there's this FBI probe and the overwhelming majority of those schools included in the FBI probe are in the Autonomous Five. So, And some of them are, quote unquote, the best recruiters in the country. What do we do? I mean, the genie is out of the bottle and has been out of the bottle. And this thing's been, I mean, this stuff's been going on, but I ask a couple questions. Number one, why does the NCAA treat every school differently? Number two, why are there no concrete rules on how how to go after a school? And number three, how does something like this, that the, I mean, because people ask me all the time, why is the FBI involved? Why is the FBI here? What, what is their connection to all this? So, the genie's out of the bottle, Dave, but this is a very, very, very slippery slope, and it's only making the NCAA look more and more suspect as to how they deal with problems and who they choose to deal with.
3: Well, I mean, the NCAA has been selective in its enforcement for ages. When you can go back to, you know, the John Wood and UCLA days with Sam Gilbert and how they turned a blind eye to all the stuff that was going on there. You know, UCLA, that's the, you know, the greatest program, the greatest run of teams in the history of college basketball. You know, and you can go back to that area where, um, you know, Jerry Tarkanian was at Long Beach State and then later at UNLV and seemed to be under the NCAA's microscope at every turn. And yet UCLA had the stuff with Sam Gilbert going on, and there was a lot of a lot of cynicism there that the reason they went after Tarkanian was because the, uh, Long Beach and later UNLV were becoming a threat to UCLA. Um, so I mean, the NCAA—that's—it's it, not a new thing that they're selective. You know, the, 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 to me, the North Carolina thing was a joke. I mean, you got like blatant academic fraud and. And the NCAA doesn't take a stance, but yet you'll go take away some eligibility from a female golfer at a random school that's washing her car with, uh, you know, because she hooks the hose up to the faucet at the athletic building. It's an impermissible benefit, you know. So I mean, the NCAA has been ridiculous in a lot of those in in, in those respects for, you know, as long as I can remember. So, um, you know, and the bottom line and the root of all of that is is money. I mean, um, you know, the whole, I mean, they seem to turn a blind eye to certain sports and certain cash cow programs and then, um, you know, paint the perception that they're um, ruling with an iron fist. Um, Sometimes with sports and teams and programs and schools that maybe don't hurt the bottom line quite so much. You know, their hand was kind of. I mean, the, with 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 Louisville, that's the first time the, uh, the men's basketball national championship has ever been vacated. Um, you know, the NCAA is taking pains to do that um, so again since the beginning of time. So, um, you know, maybe maybe if the you know, the, the the Power Five or the Autonomous Five, as you can um break away and do their own thing and, and build a model that treats college athletics, major college athletics, like the business that it is, and the schools that remain in Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, can kind of return to athletics being part of the academic mission of the school. Then, you know, maybe the landscape will get back to um, – kind of uh, pure or more transparent or more, um, you know, cleaner form of college athletics than, than what it's kind of become.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, we obviously have to change the way that things are. And like I said, I, I gave the NCAA a five-year window about a, a little over a year ago, and that five-year window did not include what's going on with the FBI, which could obviously change that a little bit quicker here as, you know, I don't, I don't think the NCAA is going to exist the way that they look right now. And, you know, we can continue that conversation. You know, Dave, you and I have spoke here for an hour, and the one thing that I know is that we brought together good points. We have obviously paid attention and looked at this model and spoken about this and thought about this and and talked with other people about this. But, But for some odd reason, every time we try to make this lasagna or anybody tries to make this lasagna, we don't have all the ingredients. And as much as, you know, the questions that we ask and the things that we want to change, it just seems like the systematic, you know, loopholes in the rules and ways around things and the way that people have been dealt with or not dealt with and whatnot, it's just created this this reality that what the NCAA is today is a is a big heaping pile of oh my goodness and it's going to take some time. It's going to take a lot of time and and I don't know if if they're past the point of no return and you know they very well could be where you have to blow up the whole model and start something over again from the rubble. I mean as much as as you and I can put things toward this, the reality of it all is that this is a conundrum that just continues to almost mutate itself and and whenever you try to eradicate the virus it just continues to to be a chameleon and and i feel that you know there's no easy fix to the ncaa by any stretch of the imagination
3: no it's. It, i mean it's like it's like a lot of complex problems is you know ideology meets practicality and you know those two things don't you know don't always align themselves to a nice clean solution i think that's you know, that's one thing where, you know, I think as a college sports fan, you can be somewhat cautiously hopeful that, you know, with the FBI's involvement, it's going to force the NCAA to operate differently and force college athletics to operate differently, maybe at a little faster pace or, or, or you know, absent the FBI, maybe things would never Changed substantially, but you know, with the FBI's involvement and um, you know the, the you know the serious nature of of potential charges being brought, um, that may force the NCAA's hand and force college athlet you know the hand of the you know the the major players in college athletics to do things differently. Um, you know, or, or face consequences that extend well beyond you know the NCAA's reach.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think I think where we've gotten to, Dave, is it, it's just it is it's going to be difficult. The question that I have to ask you in closing here is: What will we figure out first, the NCAA or the or what looks to be a very crazy, crazy uh, systematic failure, uh, systemic failure of of Facebook? What do we figure out first, Facebook or the NCAA?
3: Uh, probably Facebook, <laughs> <laughs> pro- 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 probably Facebook. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's we could spend we could do a whole nother show on um, you know, social media and data breaches, and you know, how we have you know, as a society, put our our our, our lives and our information and everything out there for public consumption as much as we do, and um, you know. The Facebook thing, like I said, and, or, so you know, data mining and social media in general. We could, know, we could do a whole other show on that.
1: All I can say is that, you know, Congress is questioning Mark Zuckerberg while we're doing the show right now. And I think that they should take a little break, listen to what we have to say, and then reassess Mark Zuckerberg after that. So, uh, as always, Dave, I appreciate your time. And I could say that no matter what happens with the NCAA or what's going on, at least we know that we don't have to feel like Mark Zuckerberg this morning. We actually have answers to questions. So I appreciate your <laughs> I appreciate your time today. <laughs>
3: My pleasure as always, Dan. We'll talk to you soon. All right,
1: take care. Right. That coming from Dave Paziak. I made a funny. <laughs> so I, it's true. You know, Dave and I have answers to questions. Mark Zuckerberg, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I mean, maybe prepare. Maybe do your homework, maybe look it up on Facebook, but, man, wow, I guess we're going to have to talk about social media when we come back. We'll be back in just a second. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break.
0: This is Jimer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacted the lives of others was really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all it starts with the food. The food is brought in fresh daily and we bring in local produce, we prepare to order in the kitchen, we hand bread our chicken, we hand spin our milkshakes. It's, it's great food. It doesn't taste like fast food. I, I think the second thing is is the way people feel when they come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant, it's different. We, we try to treat people with intentional kindness here, which is very different and deeper than good customer service. And so you know, I think it feels remarkable for most people to come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And then lastly, the impact that we try to have in the community is very different. It's a big part of the expectation of every operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant is that they're actively engaged in their community, they're a leader in their community, and they're, they're making a difference. When they realize that what we're striving to do is to shine a little light in their life, that's a very, very different experience uh, than you will have in any other quick service restaurant. And it's that remarkable experience that I think people will emotionally connect with.
2: where you could choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formal Wear.
1: Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash DT Very happy to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Right before the break, I made a comment. I said, Dave and I can at least answer questions. Mark Zuckerberg, not so much. So, you know, Facebook is fun. I enjoy using Facebook. I use it for my company. But I will say that Facebook does have its problems. It has its issues and it has its moments. By And, and, and the thing is, most people, I'm sure, have dealt with this and seen it in some respect in that, you know, Facebook really does. I mean, I put up a post. I, Facebook just doesn't seem to really make a whole lot of sense in who it affects or how it affects people. You know, the, just the things that Facebook does, it makes me scratch my head. You know, there's stuff that I see on Facebook that I think is awful, just awful, just awful things that people say. And then there's things that I see on Facebook that there's nothing wrong, you know, and, and it's not political and it's not religious and it's not this and that controversial I mean, I can't tell you how many times I put up a Facebook post with, you know, hey, these three people are going to be on my show tomorrow. Here's a picture of all the people that are going to be on the show tomorrow. That's all I said. You know, hey, Dave Pasiak's coming on the show, and he's going to be joined by da-da-da-da-da. And Facebook has flagged them for breaking their community standards. They had to review them. I've been knocked off. I've been suspended from Facebook for a day and a half because I was posting too many sports posts and tagging too many people in connection to my sports posts. And that went against their community standards of safety and yada BS, okay? Yet there's people that put terrible things on there politically, terrible things religiously, are extremely sexist, racist, bigots, rude, awful awful, violent, awful, awful hate speech, but we had to come, (laughs) we had to come after Danny Totora because he was posted too many pictures of those basketball players, and we thought that that was dangerous, I mean, you know, I would love to say that I can watch Mark Zuckerberg in this, in this Congress question, you know, in the congressional questioning, and, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, but I personally have been affected by the idiocy of Facebook and the craziness and the censorship of Facebook. We talk about government censorship. You know, the government's telling us what to do and they're blah, blah, blah. Facebook is doing that too. Facebook decides what groups, what pages, and what affiliations they will block, they will delete, they will suspend, and they will punish. And unfortunately... Facebook has taken religious and political routes. And Facebook is supposed to be freedom. Freedom of information without hate speech. But they don't stop the hate speech, but they will stop a Catholic page. And and that to me is just, it's crazy. They said something like the Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day page was banned, was blocked by Facebook. The Chick Fil A appreciation page, and I'm sitting here going, "What? You know?" But I've been a part of the idiocy of Facebook. I have been penalized for spreading information, and the only thing that I've learned from Facebook of being penalized for spreading information is that I do 999 percent per- of my stuff on Facebook is organic. I don't pay for. I don't pay for it. It's organic. So I put it out there. You know, if we're, if we're running an event or the CNY Pop Festival, I might do a little bit of ads and this and that to share it a little bit more. But 99.9% of what I do is organic. And with it being organic, I think I pissed off Facebook because I'm getting responses and I'm getting a lot of feedback, and I'm getting a lot of connections, and I'm building my brand without having to give Facebook money. So Facebook says you're going against our community standards, where I think Facebook means you're doing this without our without paying us money, and we're kind of pissed off that you figured out a way to be successful without needing us and filling our bank accounts. And how is that not doing somebody dirty? So, you know... I- this Facebook thing is, is to me, it's kind of hilarious and and downright ridiculous because, you know, we want to talk about, well, who stole our information, who did this, who that. And it's only opening up a can of worms because now that you're in front of Congress, they're going to blast you for everything that they've seen. They're going to look at every page you banned, every page you blocked, everybody you've taken away, and they're going to look at why you did it. They're going to look at who is it? Is it only Republicans? Is it only Democrats? Is it only Catholics? Is it only Muslims? Is it only this? Is it only that? Like that's that's the reality of it all. That is the reality of it all. Is that they're going to look at who exactly it is that's being affected. And if there is a pattern, they're going to call them out like they already have. You know and like I said I've been through it I've gotten messages from Facebook saying we have ten- we, we have decided to block your content and they show me and it's like a picture of the carrier dome and Jim Bayheim. And it's like, we've blocked this because we don't know if it meets our community standards. You must tell us if this is done in error. And then you have to reply to every single one of those. And then they decide whether they're going to take it off. And then at one point took me off for a day and a half because they thought that I was maybe not me and that I was breaking my community sta- the community standards of faith. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, I don't say anything racially driven to hate somebody. Nothing nothing racist, nothing prejudiced, nothing sexist, nothing that's I hate this religion, nothing that I hate these politics or I hate this politician. No hate speech from business or personal pages because that's not how I was raised and that's not how I live my life. I think that there's better ways to come across and there's better ways to say that something upsets you or you want something to change than to spread hate speech. So tell me why a nice guy like me who is just working his butt off and doing it organically without paying Facebook to do it for me, why is that a problem? So if I was sitting in front of Facebook right now, I'd have a lot of questions myself. I would say, why does somebody who does nothing wrong, why do we break your community standards? Yet there's plenty of things that I see that break community standards of any community I'd want to live in that are freely on Facebook for anybody to access, including children. So I'm just saying, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, thank you for creating Facebook slash maybe you're not the guy or maybe the people that you've employed there are not are not the right people to carry this on from here because what it was created to do was bring people together and I'm seeing you pull a lot of people apart. You know, and then they put out that whole thing that, you know, business pages like my page, like Wake Up Call, like Super Powered Pop, like CNY Pop Festival, that business pages were going to be pulled out of your news feed and it was only going to be your friends. And they said, well, in the past year, we've dealt with these problems with people seeing their friends and people that they connect with post about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton has made people really angry in an effort to fix this in an effort to make this better and make Facebook what it's supposed to be, which is not like a political crazy frenzy. We're going to take out the businesses you like. We're going to throw in more people so you can see more opinions. That makes no sense. That's like saying in order to put out this fire, we're going to throw more fire on top of it. In order to get rid of this fire, we're going to throw more wood on top of the fire. How does that get rid of the fire? The business pages are water. I go on Facebook and I go to the places that I connect with. The people that I connect with. 99% of the time, I'm not reading with every single one of my friends has to say about what politician they like. Or don't like. If you're talking about that, 99.9% of the time, I'm going through it. I'm breezing by it. I don't want to read hate speech. So I'm not looking at it. I look for, if you want me to be completely honest with you, I use every social media, media vehicle I have to promote my work because that's what matters to me is to put that out there and then I put up inspirational quotes and I look for inspirational quotes and I look for companies and people that I can put in my network that can work together with me to make this a better world. That's what I look for and that's what I do. That's literally what I do. I can't describe it to you better than that. I use social media to bring people together, build my network, build my brand, and look for inspiration and spread inspiration. That's all I use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth for. It's it. I don't use it to tell you that I hate somebody that's running for office. I don't use it to tell you that if you're this color or this, this, and this, that, then you can't hang out with me. I think that that is insane. And I think that if I'm getting messages for breaking community standards by posting a picture of Jim Beheim and saying, you know, Jim Beheim, his comments are going to be on the show tomorrow. If that's offensive, then what about all the racist and, and sexist and derogatory language driven stuff that I've seen that's just free out there? If I wanted to learn how to hate someone, I could go to social media right now and get a tutorial. That's something that I don't think that it was ever meant to be for. And so when Mark Zuckerberg tells me that he doesn't know, or tells us that he doesn't know what hate speech looks like and sounds like, maybe he is a robot. Because the last time I checked, it's not that hard to figure out what hate speech looks like. And that needs to change. It just has to, you know, as we move forward in society, we have to ask questions. So you may like this, you may not like this, but as human beings, whether you like the president, whether you like the way that things are going, whether you like this, that, and the other, we can all come together on Facebook and say, there's a lot of stuff that's broken. We can all come together on the NCAA and say that there's a lot of things that's broken. And if we just turn our blind eye and say, well, whatever, I mean, it's going to be what it is then please understand it's never going to change. It's only going to get worse. And just because it hasn't hit your doorstep today, doesn't mean it won't hit your doorstep tomorrow. Just because information wasn't stolen from you today, just because you weren't blocked today, doesn't mean it won't happen tomorrow. Just because you create a page about being Catholic or being Muslim or whatever, today doesn't mean it won't be deleted tomorrow. Just because You don't have a kid that's an NCAA student-athlete today doesn't mean that you won't have a kid or know a kid or be the godparent of a kid or the aunt or uncle of a kid tomorrow that gets affected in a really negative way by the NCAA or by what's going on in college athletics. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. The only way to stop it from happening to you, to me, or to somebody else is to go after change right now. We'll take a step aside and be back in just a moment.
0: This is a wake-up call, Fast Break.
2: Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalwear, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse, next to the Ponderosa Plaza, where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Wear.
1: Utica Pizza Company spells family, your family, my family Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Hanging out with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. I appreciate you. Tuning into the show and being a part of the broadcast. Thank you so much. And for connecting with me on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, on Twitter at Call DT, and on Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT. Greatly appreciate your time and you being a part of the show. So thank you so much for all that you do to connect with Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Of course, wakeupcalldt.com gives it all to you, all in one place. So make sure that you check it out there and make yourself a part of it. Thank you so much for all the work that you've done and for just, you know, I say all the work that you've done. I mean, really, it's, you know, a couple clicks away. But those couple clicks support my dreams. And in supporting my dreams, you're a part of the family. And as we continue to reach out our arms and our hands and, and our hearts to the people around the world inside of Central and Upstate New York and all throughout this country you know i thank you for being a part of that journey of spreading positivity hopefully making you think laugh if you're going to cry some happy tears i hope and you know ultimately to feel that you know when when we're a part of your morning or a part of whatever day we end, you know whatever part of your day that we end up being a part of you know that's that it just means the world to me that that we can interact and you and i can have some fun on a on a daily basis on social media and every monday through friday in the morning here on the show it just, it goes a long way for me that, that you and I get to spend some time together, have some fun, and like I said, just continue to outstretch our arms in love and support and kindness and in thinking, gaining knowledge and wisdom and learning from one another and ultimately living a happy life. So if you want to do all that stuff, which only a crazy person wouldn't, then welcome here to Wake Up Call and we're happy to have you. That being said, in the last half hour that we have here at the show, we we spent a lot of time on what is going on with you know college basketball and the professional ranks and, and, and all those things with Dave Paziac and taking the time to you know speak on the the many layers of the lasagna so to speak and how the recipe it's it's still missing a few things and it's going to take some time to make that perfect lasagna or, or as close as we can get to what that's going to look like you know so i i appreciate taking that time with dave and spending that time here on the show continuing with collegiate athletics it's never too early to release the schedule and the atlantic coast conference as well as with you know conferences across the country have released the pairings for the conference schedule of 2018-19 already, you can go and check it out on the Right Now page of WakeUpCallDT.com. Right Now is where the articles are written. It is a play on words. It's W-R-I-T-E now. So whatever I write, you can read right now. And the ACC men's basketball matchup pairings, you can go and look at it for your favorite teams from Boston College to Clemson, Duke, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, NC State, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest, all individually shown their home and road contest, the home and home, who they're going to be playing twice in 2018-19 inside of the ACC, as well as who they're playing at home strictly and on the road strictly. So Syracuse will be at home with Boston College and Pitt and away with Boston College and Pitt Those are their rivals, their every-time rival. So, BC and Pitt continue to be home and away. Clemson will be home and away, and Duke will be home and away. Last year, this past season, Syracuse played Duke at Cameron Indoor and then in Omaha, Nebraska, inside of the CenturyLink Center Omaha for the Sweet 16. They will play Duke inside the Carrier Dome and Cameron Indoor. Coming up this year, and I'm excited for that one. I know fans always get really jazzed for the Duke game coming into town right around Valentine's Day. Please don't put it on Valentine's Day, okay? I like spending Valentine's Day with my wife. I don't think they will because Valentine's Day this year, well, this this year upcoming, I'm pretty sure that Valentine's Day falls on a Thursday, and Syracuse like never has Thursday games inside the regular season. Let me look at this. Yes, Valentine's Day is on a Thursday this year, so I'm I'm confident, and now that I said it, they'll probably do it, but I'm hopeful that there will not be a game on Valentine's Day because I like spending that time with my wife because I, you know, might not be everybody, but I love my wife, you know, and if you married somebody that you don't really love that much, well, uh, (laughs) I I don't know what to tell you about that. I wouldn't ride a ride if I didn't want to ride it. I wouldn't do a career I didn't want to do, and I most certainly would not marry somebody that I'm not that fond of. So I love my wife, so give me my Valentine's Day and, you know, college basketball, take a day off. Home games for Syracuse, they will play Florida State at home after playing them last year in Tallahassee. Uh, They have Georgia Tech at home after last year being in Atlanta. They have Louisville at home after being at the KFC Yum Center. They have Miami at home after being at Coral Gables. And they have Virginia at home this season. Last season, they played them home and away. Road games. Syracuse will face North Carolina on the road after Strictly strictly having them at home. I don't know what Strictly is, but it's interesting. It's kind of like an echo of Strictly. North Carolina was in the Dome last year. They will be on the road this year. NC State will be on the road as well Notre Dame will be on the road they played Syracuse inside of the dome and won at the buzzer. Virginia Tech was on was at home for the Orange and they won that game their first ACC game in 2017-18. They will be on the road against Virginia Tech this time around and Wake Forest who they faced twice will just be on the road this season for the Orange. To check out all of the teams go to the right now page. On wakeupcalldt.com and click on ACC men's basketball matchups for 2017 18. You'll see the ACC logo and you can enjoy every single team there and see who your team's playing and what's going on. We don't have the dates yet, we just have the setup of who is playing who, home, away, and both. And I think, you know, the best news for Syracuse fans to come out of this one is that they are playing Duke at home and not just in Cameron Indoor. I know that fans love that Duke game. They circle that one. It was an immediate rivalry for Syracuse who left the conference where they were facing Villanova every year and UConn every year and Georgetown every year and St. John's every year. You know, now this has become, you know, this it's a bunch of years. It's hard to believe how many seasons Syracuse has been in the ECC. It's been 5. And so they're going into their sixth season in the ACC, and no matchup bigger to Syracuse fans, in my opinion, than the matchup that features the Syracuse Orange and the Duke Blue Devils duking it out against each other. So that'll happen twice, which I know fans will be ecstatic about, and very, very ecstatic about the fact that that'll be happening inside of the Carrier Dome and not just at Cameron Indoor. So that's probably the the biggest one to circle from what fans have to be most excited about as we move forward here with the 2018-19 upcoming season for college basketball. Then to get away from college basketball, we're going to talk about the NFL this week. Obviously, the draft is coming up, and I'm very, very excited about what's going to be going on with this draft. I will be putting out a mock draft. So just so you know, I will be doing a mock draft for the NFL, and I'm going to be loading that onto WakeUpCallDT.com, so make sure that you check it out. The draft is going to be April 26th to April 28th. The only problem with those dates is that Infinity War comes out on April 20th They say April 27th. They always say movies come out on a Friday, but let's be real. All the movies, like the big-time ones, they come out on Thursday night. I mean, Thursday night is the actual release, and then they say Friday. So the movie is coming out on April 26th, and the first weekend of Infinity War is April 26th when it comes out, and then the 27th, 28th, 29th. Well, the NFL draft just so happens to be the 26th through the 28th. So when Infinity War comes out, the draft will be going on and (laughs) that's going to make for an interesting scenario because many people will be going to see Infinity War probably three times by the time the weekend is over. I'm definitely going on opening day on April 26th and there is a better than 50% chance that I will go again before the weekend is over. Probably. That's probably going to happen just to let you know. So with that being stated, uh, very excited about this NFL draft coming up. And like I said, I will be giving you my mock draft, and I'm very Mm -hmm. excited to be doing that coming up here very, very shortly. But to look at the NFL and kind of just what's going on at at this point, you know, as we look at the first pick and the second pick and whatnot, I've told you that the Giants, in my opinion, I said this like three or four months ago, I said the Giants are going to draft Sam Darnold. The Giants are going to draft USC quarterback Sam Darnold. In my opinion, that's what I think is going to happen. I'm starting to see it show up in mock drafts now. I'm, I'm starting to, you know, see in social media a little bit of this uptick of like Sam Darnold looks like he might be the guy for the Giants. And I've said it over and over and over again. That's what I think is going to happen. Now for the Browns, it's interesting. Because the Browns need help all over the place, you know, and they brought in Carlos Hyde and they brought in Jarvis Landry and they brought in Tyrod Taylor and, you know, they got some help to their defensive, you know, defensive side of the ball and whatnot. But looking at all of this and kind of seeing how things are going to shake out, you know, the question is who do the Browns draft? They have the first pick and the fourth pick. And I do think they need to go somewhere with their defense I don't know if Saquon Barkley is the number 1 pick but because it's the Browns he might be. You know, I think that there's going to be a run on quarterbacks for sure. I think that that's going to happen. You know, I think I think Denver, I mean, if we look at the teams right now that need a quarterback, the Giants I mean, they have Davis Webb, but Jesus knows what that's going to look like. But, you know, the Redskins, Alex Smith's not going to be your answer. He's older than Kirk Cousins, and you paid him more money than Kirk, and that honestly made positively no sense to me, and I feel bad for Redskins fans because I don't really know what in the heck Dan Snyder and the team are thinking over there. So, in my opinion, the Redskins, they need a quarterback. The Bears maybe get somebody late just to – Light a fire under Mitch Trubisky. The Lions, they they have Matt Stafford, and they you know they're good. Minnesota, they keep doing the round robin. They have Kirk Cousins now. So really, Washington needs a quarterback. The Saints need to draft somebody for the future. So they don't need to, you know. I mean, they could shock everybody and go early. They don't have to. I think that Arizona needs to go after somebody. The I mean, I think that's really it for the NFC East because I'm going through here and I'm going San Francisco locked up Jimmy Garoppolo in Seattle. You know, they they have Russell Wilson. I don't think that he's a – I don't think he's an amazingly consistent quarterback, but he also doesn't have a running game, and, you know, that affects anybody's numbers. So I think, you know, Arizona, New Orleans, Washington need to get a quarterback. Buffalo needs to go out there and get a quarterback. Miami needs to think about getting a quarterback – Maybe later on, but they need to look at it. The Patriots are going to have to draft a quarterback at some point. I don't really know what they're thinking, you know. But Lord knows they get a pick in the seventh round. They'll get some amazing quarterback that nobody's heard of, and he'll win four Super Bowls and throw for some ungodly amount of yards in his career. So, I mean, I know that there's like that, that feeling in my gut where I'm like, the Patriots ain't a quarterback, and everybody's like, don't remind them. Like, Dan, they, I don't think they know. I don't, know. <laughs> don't tell them. Would say that they need a quarterback. I mean, je- jeepers, Chris, Dan, I mean, do you want them to get better? You know, that's what I feel like people are saying right now, but it's the truth of the matter. I mean, the entire AFC East should draft a quarterback. The Bills, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Jets. They all need to do it. Now, here's to the Patriots. You know, I, I, I can feel, I can feel it. I can feel it in the pit of, I can feel it in my stomach that people are like, Dan, now that you said it, it's going to happen and they're going to draft some phenom. Hey, you know what? If the NFL teams did their homework like the Patriots do theirs, then you shouldn't have to worry about the Patriots because somebody should be up on it. But the entire AFC East needs to draft a quarterback. Definitely the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Bills. The Patriots have no backup plan to Tom Brady, so I don't really know what they're hoping for. I mean, he's gonna be he wants to play until he's forty five, and he's what, four years away from that, so you gotta get somebody in there. The Ravens might want to look at somebody later on in rounds here. The Browns, yeah, they have to. The Steelers might want to keep an eye because Ben Roethlisberger has kind of toyed around with retiring. You know, I think that the AFC, more than the NFC, needs quarterbacks. I think the Colts have to at least look. I I, I said two years ago, I don't trust an Andrew Luck. He gets hurt. He's not consistent. He's consistent in throwing interceptions, I guess. But I'm just, I'm not a fan and all this stuff coming out now about, like, rushing back from injury and not making good decisions and just, like, the maintain, He just doesn't sound like a guy that's got the his mind right. And if you're the quarterback of, of an NFL team, I mean, of all people that can have their mind going willy-nilly all over the place, this is not the guy. So I think the Colts have to look. Denver, Lord, Mary, you know, I like I said yesterday, People want to knock Tim Tebow, but since Tim Tebow and Paint Manning put on that pay, put on that Denver Broncos jersey, there ain't been nothing there. Paxton Lynch, mm mm. Trevor Simeon, mm mm. Brock Osweiler once, mm mm. Second time, mm Even worse. Denver needs some help. Kansas City's got Pat Mahomes, so they're gonna let that ride. The Chargers are hoping that Philip Rivers plays till he's 87 years old, and the Raiders have Derek Carr, so. There's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. Now, when we look at the draft order, the Browns had the first and the fourth, so they could take a quarterback. The Giants, in my opinion, are going to take a quarterback. The Jets are going to take a quarterback. The Broncos are probably going to take a quarterback. The Colts should at least entertain taking a quarterback, but I agree that they go offensive line because they can't protect anybody, so they need to do that first. You know, Tampa, no. Chicago... Like I said, they could do it. They could do it. They don't have to do it, but they could do it. The 49ers, they don't need anybody at the quarterback position. The Raiders don't. The Dolphins are at 11. They do. The Bills are at 12th, and they do. You know, they, they need to kind of just look at the future. But the Bills, you know, I mean, they, they need help elsewhere as well. And then you got the skins right behind them and the skins need it. And then you have in the first round you got the Packers don't, the Cardinals do. And it's like the Cardinals people are projecting the Cardinals are going to go after wide receivers. That's all well and good. Who the hell is going to throw to them? Carson Palmer retired. I love the Harold Landry pick to the to the Ravens at 16. I think that that's good. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew is projecting that. I, I think, I mean, Harold Landry's a guy that I followed through his entire time. I mean, I followed him through his recruitment. We spoke. Uh, we've spoken during his time at Boston College, and I try to keep in touch with him. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that he gets, uh, he gets a good opportunity. I think the Ravens would be great in revitalizing that defense. And then, you know, the Chargers, they don't need to get a quarterback. And then Seahawks, Cowboys, Lions don't. Bengals could, and then the Bills draft again at twenty-two. They gotta figure this one out and see what they could do here. I don't think they should some people are projecting that they'll trade their pick. I don't think that they should. Unless it is with the Broncos to get their quarterback and the Broncos are gonna draft their quarterback for them. And then the Patriots are twenty third. You go all the way down to the Jaguars at 29th. ninth, Jair Alexander. I like this one. Cornerback from Louisville, I've interviewed him. You know, that would be that wouldn't be a bad bet. I'm not for the Jaguars drafting a wide receiver in the first round. I don't know why people think that they desperately need a wide receiver. Well, Dan, they got rid of Allen Robinson. Yeah, okay. So what? What's the what's the issue? They got rid of Allen Robinson. Should we look at the depth chart right now? Let's take a look. Let me get the Jaguars depth chart out here and pull this up and and take a little gander, little gander at at, at what's going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars at this point because it's time to. It's, I mean, we have to have this discussion because it really is. It's It's ridiculous to me that people have this mentality of, you know, all oh, this guy, or the Jaguars desperately need a wide receiver, okay? They have Blake Bortles. They brought in Cody Kessler, a very cheap, inexpensive way. They gave up a, They gave up a conditional seventh-round pick next year. That is literally a maybe pick at the end of the draft to a team that can't figure out most of the time how to draft in the beginning. To get a quarterback who started in multiple seasons, who is young, and is your backup. I have no problem with the Cody Kessler move. I think it's one of the smartest things that I didn't think of. Shout out to the Jaguars. Because they saw that, and I wasn't even looking that way. Leonard Fournette, TJ Yeldon, Cor- I love that they re-signed Corey Grant. That's good stuff. So, you have your running backs. You got your, you got your big guy. You got your Leonard Fournette guy. So, you're good. You, brought in, you kept Marquise Lee, who I told you after speaking with him at the end of last season at Gillette Stadium, that I thought he was... It was the same type of conversation with O'Shea Brissett. Ironically, they both wear number 11. Being in the locker room with these guys and interviewing them and hearing them talk about the team made me believe Marquise Lee was coming back, made me believe that O'Shea Brissett was coming back, and I've been right on both of those because I listen a lot of people interview and they're ready for their next question. I took what these guys said. I kept. I took what O'Shea said about being a leader and leadership and I want to lead and next season I can do this and next season I can do that. And then Marquise Lee, you know, just the way that he was talking, he genuinely made me feel like he wanted to come back and be a part of this team. And they invested in him and not in Allen Robinson. So... Marquise Lee, who became a better player toward the end of the season in his, I believe, attitude, he came into the season cocky. He was never the man on the Jaguars, but this year he thought he's the man. And I think that that affected him in a negative way. I'm really hoping that the Marquise Lee that I interviewed at the end of the season and throughout the playoffs is the Marquise Lee that I see going into this season of 2018-19. Because if that's the guy the Jaguars have, who learned that even if I I do have it, even if I am the man, I'm not going to act like that. A humble Marquise Lee is great for the Jaguars, would make me very happy to see moving forward. Always love talking to the guy. Dante Moncrief, I'm going to be interested in this one. They take him over from the Indianapolis Colts, unlike collegiate athletics, because he came from the same division and or conference, you don't have to wait a season to play. So, Dante Moncrief will be available right away. I'm interested in seeing what's going to happen with Dante Moncrief because, I mean, let's be honest, he had three different quarterbacks thrown to him in Indianapolis. So, we we can't say that a full body of work is really there or that we know exactly what the Jaguars are getting. Could he have been a misused or... I think he could have been a misused wide receiver. So... Here's to seeing if that's the case or if he's a bust. I'm hoping that Dante Moncrief is going to show that as a young receiver in the game, he does have something to offer that the Colts weren't utilizing or maybe didn't have the quarterbacks or the scheming to utilize. D.D. Westbrook. Man was injured, didn't get to play the majority of the season, but he's a fast kid. He was up for the Boletnikoff Award for top receiver in college. I'm excited to see what he can be because I I feel like we've barely seen D.D. Westbrook, so I'm excited for that, and I'm excited I got to talk to him. He was good for the playoffs. Keelan Cole, one of the – cheap Keelan Cole and Jadon Mickens, two of the cheapest ways to make your wide receiver core better. Your guys that are your fourth and fifth string guys, Jadon was like, try like fifth, sixth, seventh string type guys. Humble, hungry and showed up for the Jaguars when they needed him. Rashad Green is still on the team. He was injured last year, so not a lot of conversation about him coming out of FSU, but he's a return man. Jadon Mickens has has all but taken that job, so it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen here. But they brought on Jalen Strong from the Houston Texans off of waivers. They have Rashad Green. They have Jadon Mickens, Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, Dante Moncrief, Marquise Lee. Why draft another wide receiver? Unless this guy is big-time playmaking ability that's going to come in right away and be my number one or two, I'm not drafting him. Because contrary to public belief, if Marquise Lee is humble and hungry, leaves his ego at home, and brings his hands to play, he's he's a good player and he's dangerous. D.D. Westbrook, Keelan Cole, Jadon Mickens, I can tell you right now that Keelan Cole and Jadon Mickens are two of my favorite receivers on this team, and they're ranked fourth and fifth in this depth chart. Marquise Lee, Dante Moncrief, Dede Westbrook, you got six guys that are going to make it happen if you bring in Rashad Green or Jalen Strong. You don't need to draft a wide receiver. Now, at the tight end position, I'm very, very disappointed in the Jaguars for the release of... Mercedes Lewis. I thought that the whole plan was that Mercedes Lewis would retire a Jaguar. So, it is frustrating to me that they would let him go in the 11th hour. And it was really sad for me to see that this was going to be, you know, the way that he was kind of handled going out the door. So, I'm not I'm not happy with it. I'm not proud of the decision. But it happened. With that being said, the Jaguars at the tight end position have Austin Safarian Jenkins, Niles Paul, Ben Koyak, James O'Shaughnessy, and David Greenwich. Now, James O'Shaughnessy has shown that he could do some cool things, and he's really young, and I'm very excited about what James O'Shaughnessy can be. He was on waivers from New England, and anybody that New England brings in, it's like, could be diamond gold right there. He came out of Illinois State in 2015 and was on Kansas City originally. So I'm excited for James O'Shaughnessy and just, I mean, even being a decoy out there. Ben Koyak, I like them both. I don't like the Austin Safarian Jenkins deal because Austin Safarian Jenkins had a great setup in Tampa Bay. He was the number one target that Jameis Winston liked to throw to, and then he got injured, and then he got in trouble, and then he went to the Jets, who are trouble themselves and continue to be a guy that you can't really trust to be an adult all the time, I guess. So, why bring Austin... To to a team that was one step out of the Super Bowl, why bring in a potential locker room problem? So, I'm... under the impression... I don't want to say I'm... I'm not hoping, because I want him to get a job, I don't like him in this locker room because I've been in this locker room and been around this team for the better part of almost a decade now, and I just don't, I think it's bad news bears for a team that's so close. So, I mean, cheers to Austin Safarian Jenkins having changed all his ways and impressing the heck out of me, and and, make him, and, and, and and showing me that he's not going to be an off-the-field issue anymore. That would be wonderful. But, you know, they bring in Niles Paul from Washington as a free agent. I would rather have Ben Koyak, James O'Shaughnessy, and then draft somebody. I'm not opposed to Niles Paul, but the austin Severian jenkins move, I'm just, to get rid of a guy who is loyal to your team and the only remaining player from the last time you made the playoffs in 2007-08 to this time in 2017-18, Mercedes Lewis, to let go of him and then bring Austin Severian Jenkins on your roster, it's just it's like a double slap and I don't I don't I'm not for it. On the offensive line, Cam Robinson at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at left guard coming from Carolina who they paid massive money to from Ohio State and we all know that Ohio State and the entire Big Ten plays in the trenches. And the big-bodied offensive and defensive linemen are good stuff when it comes from the Big Ten. Those big bodies, he, they got one of them now in and Andrew Norwell to try and shore up the issues that they had on the line. Brandon Linder at center, A.J. Can at right guard, Jer- Jeremy Parnell at right tackle. Good stuff. They could have plugged a big hole there on their offensive line. And then, you know, as far as defensively, Yannick—you know, Yannick Nagakwe, uh, Marcel Darius, Malik Jackson, Clayus Campbell. Mm-hmm. Then outside of that, we're looking at Dante Fowler Jr., Dewan Smoot, who was drafted last year out of Illinois. They have, and then you have Aubrey Jones and Mike Bennett. I mean, there's there's a lot of talent that is on the defensive line, and I don't think they have to go there in the draft. Uh, Miles Jack is and Telvin Smith, they're going to be working to take over here. Blair Brown, Who came up? This guy was a fifth-round draft pick in 2017 out of Ohio, and he's risen to potentially being the Mike linebacker. I do think they should get some depth at depth at linebacker. Laurenti, McCray, they did bring back, so I'm interested to see what that can be. But I would, I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a linebacker. And then uh, defensive backs: AJ Boye, Jalen Ramsey. They got to make sure that they take care of these guys because they're going to have to pay them eventually. They've already paid A.J. recently, but Jalen is going to be looking for a payday. Tashawn Gibson has gotten better, got injured. He's out of Wyoming, so big shout-out to Wyoming for the respect and what he's bringing to the NFL out of Wyoming. Hopefully people can see that and respect that and appreciate it. Barry Church, he's not going to play forever. He's played since 2010, but he's been a good addition to the team, a good veteran, and a calm veteran on the team brings some of that calmness and professionalism to the locker room. Uh, DJ Hayden from Houston just got added to the team as a free agent. Uh, Also got added Dexter McDougal. So, you know, they they could bring in another safety. Speaking on the Jaguars, I wouldn't be surprised if they did something like that. And then, you know, they're they're punters, they're punter. They're going to keep the guys that they have there. And then as far as uh, moving on, From here, you know, the decision to hold on to Blake Bortles, I love that decision. So, you know, for the Jaguars, as far as who I think they're going to draft, you know, I don't think that they're going to necessarily go quarterback unless they go late to put a third person on the roster. Not going to go running back unless somebody falls to them. I don't see them going for wide receiver. I see them building up the offensive line, tight end, safety linebacker maybe bring in another defensive lineman, but they have, the I mean, they have guys, they have like four guys that can be all pro on the defensive line, so at least. So it'll be interesting to see where they roll from here, but I think they're going to be in good shape. We'll take a step aside here for a fast break. We'll wrap up the show in just a minute.
0: This is a wake up call Fast Break.
2: That's 315-702-4653 Or contact us through our website LGWeddingsAndEvents.com Looking Glass Events Giving you a reason to celebrate
1: The Penn and Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Penn and Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding. Ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Penn and Trophy Center, One Eleven East Willow Street, in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on Thirty Six Eighty Milton Avenue. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m. Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. You're hanging out with us right here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Coming up on Thursday, April 12th, I'll be joined at 10:15 a.m. Eastern time with Lee Ross. Lee Ross, former Syracuse softball head coach, will be speaking on collegiate athletics and the the fun of the game, making the game fun and just going into the re- recruitment and everything that athletics has become as opposed to what it was what she hopes it'll be so we're going to take a look at softball and then we're going to take a look at the bigger picture of collegiate athletics so we started the conversation within the last couple of weeks we've continued the conversation with Dave Paziak and we will get Lee Ross's thoughts on it from the softball point of view and also in the larger scope of collegiate athletics as a whole on what Lee Ross thinks with having kids that obviously move forward and, and you know want to do something, want to play and whatnot. So as the former Syracuse softball head coach, she was on the show many times, and she will be coming back to the broadcast speaking on collegiate athletics and playing for the fun of the game. We will do Through the Looking Glass, proudly brought to you by Looking Glass Events, around 10.50 a.m. Eastern Time. And we will also be featuring a one-on-one conversation with with Devin Bryant's 2019 linebacker, who has an offer from Syracuse. So that'll all be happening between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Eastern Time this Thursday, April 12th. I look forward to speaking with you and sharing some time with you. In the meantime, head to Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, and Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT, and buy your tickets now to the CNY Pop Festival on CNY Pop Festival. Dot com That's cnypopfestival.com, which will link you directly to cnypopfestival.eventbrite.com where you can get all of our tickets. We have limited VIP as well as a limited supply of the May the 4th Be With You sale, where buying an, an adult admission gets you one free child pass. So make sure that you buy today on cnypopfestival.com. God bless, be good to each other, and as always... Have a great day, a peaceful day, and make sure that you take the time to say thank you.